Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude our series today, Passion. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 25 to 31, as Dr. Newfeld brings us the message, Transform. Each one of us has gone through pivotal moments in our lives. These are moments that are turning points. See, after a pivotal moment, we're never going to be the same again. Well, some pivotal moments are overwhelmingly negative. The death of a spouse or a parent or child. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's being laid off at work. The end of a friendship. I mean, all of those can leave us feeling that we're never going to be the same. But of course, some pivotal moments are positive marriage, the birth of a child, graduation, or an insight into truth. I mean, all of these can be positively life-altering. And the point I'm making is that the coming of the Holy Spirit is just such a pivotal moment. So I'm reading John 14, 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So let's stop here and see the first pivotal moment. And before I dive right into understanding this text, let's remember a basic rule in Bible study. Whenever trying to understand a text, let's pause and first ask ourselves, to whom were these things said? That is, who is the intended audience? It's so important to ask and answer that before we come to the question, how do I apply that to my life? So we notice that from John 13 all the way through to chapter 17, Jesus is alone with his disciples. I mean, first Judas is sent away so that the the betrayer has no access either to the teaching Jesus now gives nor to the promises that he makes. But the 11 who are left, these 11 will be his key leaders bringing the message of the gospel to the world. You know, of course, after his resurrection, as time goes on, Jesus is going to add another, Saul of Tarsus. He's going to become Paul and he's going to join the group of apostles to whom the same promises are made that we find here in this text. So we start with that. What Jesus said in this room was made to his apostles. Now, clearly, John tells us about what was said in that room so so that we can apply what was said not just to the apostles, but to us as well. But before we get into that, that is, before we apply it to ourselves, let's understand the promise that was made to the apostles. Start with verse 25. Jesus said that he has spoken things to them while he was still with them. So stop there. For three years now, these men have been with Jesus everywhere he went. And whenever they were confused, he made sure they understood the truth. And of course, as you and I know, he's, he's now told them he's going away. And where he's going, they can't come. That is not now. He will come back for them when the time is right. You know, for now, however, they will have a mission to fulfill. As we come to the end of Matthew's gospel, you know, Jesus tells them to go into the world and make disciples of the whole world, baptizing them and teaching them everything, that is, literally everything these new potential converts need to know. That is, what has happened with Jesus, what he taught, and the implications of everything he did. Now, how are they going to do that? I mean, in their lives, they've often misunderstood. They've often come to the wrong conclusion. Furthermore, they have frequently acted in sin, allowing, you know, small, petty differences to overwhelm their judgment. And furthermore, depending on how long their mission takes, what happens, as we know with all of us, is they're going to misremember what Jesus taught. Well, that comes the promise of verse 26. 
but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And I hope you see the promise. The New Testament, the 27 books that make up the completion of our Bible, that part which brings God's revelation to a climax, you know, beginning with the coming of the Messiah and then ending with a promise of his second coming, that New Testament is the completion of the promise of John 14, 26. Jesus promised his apostles that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things, and the Holy Spirit would ensure that when they remembered what Jesus had taught them, and when they remembered what he did, then they would remember it with precision and complete accuracy. The Holy Spirit would ensure that what the apostles taught was exactly what Jesus taught. I know that some work needs to be done in explaining how it came to be that Paul had joined their number, but suffice it to say that the risen Jesus met with Paul for three years in Arabia so that he too would have been directly taught by Jesus and given the Holy Spirit to accurately remember everything that he was taught. So John 14, 26 is where we get our doctrine that the New Testament is inspired by the Holy Spirit and that every single word is exactly the word that Jesus wanted to have communicated to his people. The helper, the other helper. You know, the first helper is Jesus. The second one is the Holy Spirit. He's going to remind them of everything that Jesus wanted to have known. And, you know, as an aside, and this might seem like a bit of a detour, but, but humor me. You know, I don't like red-letter Bibles you know, with the words of Jesus in red. Yeah, it is true that the red words in those Bibles reflect those words that Jesus actually said. But in truth, every single word in our New Testament reflects one of three things. First, it contains everything Jesus said. Second, it contains everything Jesus did. And third, it contains the implications of what Jesus said and did for the believers throughout the ages. You see, every single word in the New Testament, not just the red ones, but every single word is exactly what Jesus wanted to say to his church. The promise Jesus made in the upper room was the promise that it would be just like that. You know, one more side point before we move on. We all know that not every book in the New Testament was written by the apostles, and I'm here referring to John Mark, who also wrote the book of Mark, or to Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, and so forth. And as a way of just shorthand saying it quickly, let me say that these men were the prophets who were directly overseen by the apostles. Mark wrote with Peter overseeing every word that he wrote, and Paul oversaw every word that Luke wrote, and so forth. So I come back to the point. What Jesus says in John 14, 26 is a promise that's reserved for the apostles and the prophets. It's not a promise that you and I should apply to our own lives as if we'll have the same recall of all Jesus did and taught as the apostles. But we can apply the promise of John 14, 26 to our own lives whenever we pick up the New Testament and read it, knowing with absolute assurance that these are the words of Jesus. But we can also apply John 14, 26 in another way. You know, if we go ahead to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. See, here's what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of all who believe. He gives us understanding of the things that the apostles have written for us. 
You know, we call this the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He illumines our minds so that when we read the words that were supervised by him, he changes our hearts. Look, I'm not saying that you can't understand the New Testament if you're not a Christian. You know, the words, the thoughts, the ideas in the New Testament are words that are easy to understand. The Bible is, you know, really not written in code. It's written in everyday words, and it can be understood by anyone. But the thoughts of the Bible are an affront to the ego. They tell us that we're hopelessly lost in sin and that we can't save ourselves, that nothing can redeem us from our hellishness except Jesus suffering, bleeding, dying for our sins. And the natural mind finds these ideas offensive. And so along comes the Holy Spirit, and he creates a delight in our hearts for the very things that we once raged against. So in a sense, John 14, 26 is a promise. It's a promise that's made directly to the apostles, but it is indirectly applied to us. After we read the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is always at work in our hearts, not only bringing about a spirit of repentance, but also bringing about a continual reminder of what we've read when we've read the Scripture. Suddenly, it's not just words on paper anymore. The words become living words written deeply into our own hearts, words that burn like fire in our souls, words we hunger and thirst after. These are words that inspire a deep passion inside of us for the things of God. So, let's read John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The question that Bible students raise constantly around verse 27 is this. You know, what kind of peace is Jesus offering his disciples? See, he's leaving them the Holy Spirit, we've seen that. And he's leaving them peace, we see that now. And so we should also know that the Holy Spirit is the one who is bringing them peace. You know, it's clear from what follows that the disciples were not going to have peace from their enemies. We know that every one of them, with the exception of John, died a martyr's death. Clearly, Jesus must have meant inner peace. And we can most assuredly say that not only did he offer inner peace to the apostles, he offers inner peace to all of us today. Who could have known where the world would find itself today? Well, we know nothing is beyond God, beginning to end. We find ourselves in challenging days, unprecedented for most. We're experiencing uncertainty, more questions, I suppose, than answers. But take courage, people of God. He is faithful. In response to our global circumstances, the next five weeks, beginning March 22nd, Dr. Neufeld will be releasing a special video series each Sunday morning. This series has been designed to provide weekly Bible teaching, particularly for those who may not be able to currently worship with their church family. In this series, Dr. Neufeld will provide unique messages of hope found in Christ. Join us this Sunday morning at backtothebible.ca as we search God's Word for today. And if you miss a message, no worries. Prior messages will be available online or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You want to notice that Jesus gives clues about what he means by peace in the various passages in Scripture. You know, for instance, go to Mark 10, 42 to 44. 
And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You know, taken from this perspective, you know, Jesus is offering his disciples a new way of living. Not peace through power, but peace through servanthood. Peace is attained through love. Peace through servanthood. Peace through thinking of the needs of others first. That we might call relational peace. It's peace because now the followers of Jesus are not trying to one-up each other. The world has never offered this kind of peace. But there are also Bible teachers who are going to argue that Jesus may have meant something else here. You know, they point out that at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus began with the words, let not your hearts be troubled. And the entire context of this chapter is the insecurity that the disciples were feeling about the fact that that Jesus was going away. And his promise of the Holy Spirit as their helper, well, that's intended to relieve their anxiety or their lack of peace. So these Bible teachers point out the peace is the absence of spiritual unrest. It's the inner knowledge that Christ loves us and cares for us. It's an inner condition in which our anxiety about the future is driven out and it's replaced by an inner confidence that Christ is in control. I I call that inner peace. And inner peace means we conquer fear. Inner peace means that we're able to walk through all sorts of troubles and sufferings and pivotal moments in life when we'll never be the same and still we have an inner tranquility. So can I make application? Inner peace is walking through a pandemic, knowing that our lives are hid in Christ. And so even while we're concerned, our hearts are at peace. Jesus is saying, look, the world can't offer you that, but he can. You know, he died for our sins so that I no longer have regret over the past. You know, he promised and secured my future so I no longer have anxiety over the future. He promised to bring all things under his reign so I no longer have to fear the moment. I can have inner peace. Now, it is clear that Jesus provided both of these, both inner peace and relational peace. But did you notice how different the peace of Christ is to the kind of peace we often think of when we think of peace? See, we often think of peace as the absence of trouble. You know, peace in church means everyone's getting along. Peace at home means the kids aren't acting up. Peace in the world means that wars have ceased and there are no more global diseases. You know, peace for many of us simply is the absence of trouble. But that's not what Jesus intended. Henry Drummond pointed out, and I quote, Christ's life outwardly was one of the most troubled lives that was ever lived. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34 to 36. Do not think I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to sit a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. You know, as a pastor, I've often had the opportunity to pray with either a man or a woman who will tell me that his or her marriage is on the brink of divorce. You know, will Christ save their marriage? And I pray that he will, but I know that sometimes he won't. But what he came to do is to change our attitude towards strife. He has come to bring inner peace, a quiet confidence, which is absolutely assured that Christ is in control. He has also come to bring relational peace, where Christians don't cause strife, but we bring peace. 
I remember years ago, I was a guest preacher in a church, and at about 10 minutes before I was asked to preach, I was told that the senior pastor of that church was going to resign right before my message. And that's what happened. You know, he told the congregation, he said, you know, by this time, you know that my wife has left me for another man. And under those circumstances, I can't carry on as your pastor. But it's what he said next that was stunning. It left me with the assurance that this man was indeed a Holy Ghost-filled man. He asked the congregation if they might make him a promise, not to speak badly about his wife. He pleaded with them. You know, later I found out that when she came to the house to pick up her belongings, he washed and vacuumed her car and then he blessed her. It's called relational peace. Anyone can engage in war. All the world knows how to seek revenge, but only a spirit-filled man or woman can do what that man did. It's to look in the face of wrong and bless. Jesus said, my peace, I leave you. And that's a pivotal moment. It has certainty about Christ's truth and yet a deep, serene spirit of peace. It's called transformation, but Jesus doesn't end there. Chapter 14, 28 to 31. You've heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And when I read these verses, I'm struck by what Jesus is asking his disciples. You know, in effect, he's telling them that the reason they've been mourning about him going away, well, that's because they've been self-absorbed. If they could ever get beyond themselves, even for just a moment, they would have been overwhelmed with joy. Jesus is going to his Father. I mean, all along, he's been telling them of his relationship with the Father, of his love for the Father. Now he's going there. See, I think one of the great tragedies behind every single human life is that we can't see beyond our own noses. And it's universally true. You know, one man said, you know, that's best seen when we compare birth with death. We rejoice at birth and we weep at death, but whom are we rejoicing and weeping for? Good question, don't you think? Now, when Jesus is opening their eyes to a new reality, I call it the third pivotal moment of transformation. This is about passion, which is the theme of this series. Have you ever met someone who's passionate about Jesus? Did you notice that they are less passionate about themselves? You know, first, they've got a passion for God. Jesus is going to the Father. I mean, what better news can there be? And before I go on, I must draw attention to that last phrase in verse 28, the Father is greater than I. If you know the Gospel of John, you will have noticed that many times Jesus has been saying that he's equal with God. He is God. Now he says his Father is greater. You know, how can anyone be greater if Jesus is already God? When we read language like that, we should keep several things in mind. We should remember that Jesus had said that he was obedient to the Father. And Paul would later say in Philippians that Jesus humbled himself in his humanity and became obedient to the Father. Let me put that language in a way that all of us can understand. Tell me, is the Prime Minister of Canada greater than we? Well, on the one hand, he is. That is, according to the role he plays, he's the first minister in government. But on the other hand, he's not, for he and we both share fully in humanity. And that's exactly what Jesus is expressing. He has gladly taken upon himself the role of a servant. In spite of the fact that he was equal to God, he took upon himself the role of a servant, and he did it for our salvation. 
It was humiliating. It was painful and caused great suffering. But now he's returning to the Father, and the disciples should have been excited, but they couldn't see the glory of that moment. They're too self-absorbed. I think that when anyone is filled with the Spirit, he or she finally, at least for moments and glimpses, gets beyond their individual problems, their marriage problems and their problems with their kids and with work and with their health and problems with money and on and on. And suddenly, for a moment, the clouds part and were absorbed in the glory and the passion of God. And if you ever get there, that's so pivotal, you'll never be the same. And out of that will flow a passion of loving obedience to the Father. In fact, that can be our story. Transformed people really have come to a pivotal moment and perhaps to a series of pivotal moments. The first moment is the time when the Holy Spirit came to live in us. That happened at our salvation. That happened when we surrendered our lives to Christ, called him Lord and God, and entrusted our lives into his hands. At that moment, the Holy Spirit entered us. But by design, we need subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit. We need encounters. We need pivotal, life-transforming moments, moments where our faith really becomes built on the certainty of Christ. We're no longer blown here or there, but we become solid, solid in Jesus in a way that lasts a lifetime. We gain peace, peace that comes from our soul and changes the way we treat others. And we finally really do get beyond ourselves and the things we want, and we get a passion for Him. Is that you? Do you want that to be you? Ask the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer to fill you afresh, and if you've never known God, Come to Jesus, fall on your knees, surrender your life to Him. It'll be the pivotal moment, and you'll never be the same. Dr. Neufeld, thanks so much for this incredible series that you've done. And and I know you've done multiple series on the Easter season and that, but I guess I'd like to ask you the question, over the last three weeks, what has actually stood out perhaps new and fresh to you? Ben, I I think my mind is taken up in that moment when Jesus has a morsel of bread in his hand and he hands it out to Judas, and the lack of hesitation in Judas. But in holding out the bread, uh, Jesus gives Judas, even Judas, that opportunity to repent, but he does not. And the minute his heart closes towards Jesus, he walks out into the night. And And it's just the way John says, and it was night. I think about the message of Easter and how important it is not to abandon Christ, even if it should be difficult, even if the days of suffering are before us. Hold on to Christ. Don't you dare ever uh, turn your back and walk into the night. Thanks so much, John, and thank you for this wonderful series. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our Bible teaching with Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Many of us find ourselves at home more than usual these days. The solitude can be a refreshing discipline, but a bit more challenging when it's thrust upon us. Today, I wanted to remind you of the many Bible teaching resources you can access for free through Back to the Bible Canada. Every weekday, listen to Dr. Neufeld on this radio station, online at backtothebible.ca, or through our podcast or free mobile app. Not only today's program, but there's a vast library of Bible teaching series online. Other resources include our weekly young adult program, In Doubt, or the daily airing of Laugh Again. And most recently, for five weeks beginning March 22nd, 
We'll begin to air a special Bible teaching video series aired every Sunday morning available at backtothebible.ca or the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information about all of these resources and more, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.